AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon as we're joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Great resource to follow along with what's happening in the latest in Minnesota news and politics and especially what's happening at the state legislature as there is no shortage of news on the bills that are being worked on in both the House and the Senate. Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So I certainly do have some things taking a look at the legislature that I'd like to talk about, including uh, what's happening uh, with the latest on gun reforms and also an interesting bill on what we could be doing with these PFAS chemicals, kind of following up on what we talked about last week. But I'm curious what you've been following along at the state legislature. You and I had a chance to chat a little bit off air, and there's certainly a lot of things that they're covering. But uh, what's been catching your eye in terms of uh, what they're debating in the House and the Senate right now? Uh, I think I'm I'm still uh, I continue to be um, r- impressed with uh, how quickly the the new DFL House and Senate are moving uh, along a range of policy issues that have to do with civil rights and labor um, and um, I mean all kinds of issues that are moving very quickly um, and and I guess a lot of us are sort of just taken by surprise after uh, years of inaction. Um, from the legislature. Um, so uh, driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants, restoring voting rights uh, for people who are still on parole and probation. Uh, we saw the um, the right to an abortion codified already. Governor Tim Wall signing uh, the 2040 uh, energy plan that would require a transition away from fossil fuels uh, by 2040. Um, and just on and on down, I mean, you name an issue and the Democrats are taking it on um, at really breathtaking speed. And um, and so it's I think it's there's still challenges. Some of these bills have not passed, especially on the Senate side, where they have the one vote majority. Um, and we haven't gotten to the money part of the, the session, which will come after a uh, February economic forecast. And that's when we'll know how much money they have uh, to, to spend. And, and I think that's where you're going to maybe see some more conflict. But for now, um, a whole bunch of issues uh, moving quickly and really reshaping the, the state in some fundamental ways. Um, and so it's been uh, quite a thing to watch. Well, something we've certainly noticed during the pandemic was a lack of affordable housing for people and, of course, folks also struggling to pay their rent or their mortgages. And I know right now at the legislature they're debating some reforms on housing vouchers and who might be eligible for those and how much money. Uh, talk a little bit about what the legislature is doing in terms of house housing vouchers right now. Yeah, there's a, a really uh, huge number of Minnesotans, um, hundreds of thousands, who um, are spending anywhere between 30 and, and often as much as 50% of their income uh, to pay their rent. And it makes living uh, unaffordable. And uh, so one way that you could tackle that is you, you cap uh, how much people are going to pay in rent um, and then have the state make up the rest. And it was always kind of a a bit of a, a moonshot um, to, to how we would uh, pay for it. and But with the surplus, uh, there's some Democrats who are saying, um, you know, this would be money well spent um, because it would provide housing stability um, to a huge swath of people. And with housing stability, you get a lot of 
of other benefits. Um, that, that is really the, the toughest thing for people. It's, it's the most expensive thing. And addictions, um, that, that leads to all kinds of other troubles. Um, children having to move schools is, is very disruptive. Um, and um, it's just bad for, uh, bad for your health and well-being when you have to move around a lot. You're not really sure where you're going to be living. So uh, this would be a huge, uh, a huge benefit to a lot of people. Um, it's not in Tim Walls' budget. Uh, he would prefer to build more affordable housing. That's more his uh, solution here. So uh, I doubt they'll get all the way uh, on providing a, a housing voucher to everybody who's eligible. That's the goal here uh, because right now there's a long waiting list. Um, but uh, that that would be a, a remarkable. A policy achievement, um, in in my view, anyway. So, in terms of the funding for this, uh, how much money is going to be allocated for the program? I'm a little bit curious in terms of the costs and the finances for uh, possibly making these changes to the housing voucher program in Minnesota. What do we know? So, in 2021, the, they introduced a bill. It was just kind of a pie in the sky thing that uh, you know everybody knew wasn't going to pass because there was a Republican Senate. But it would cost a billion dollars a year um, to provide rental assistance, excuse me, to every Minnesotan who needs it. So that's 224,000 renter households. That's just households. So now, you know, you have to consider that there's children and and, uh, partners in those households. And it would be an average subsidy of $400 a month. So um, it would probably be a bit more given inflation. um, But... If you think about the the current uh, surplus, um, I think that's a I think that's a a, a good deal, and uh, I hope they move forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. And housing is certainly an issue that sometimes, uh, at least in my opinion, gets overlooked when we look at finances. But it's a very very important issue, and it especially became clear during the pandemic as well. So we'll have to follow along with that bill as it works its way through the legislature as well. Another uh, issue you and I were talking about off-air has to do with non-compete clauses. I've always been fascinated by this, uh, being that I'm someone who works in the media industry, of course, has not impacted me myself. But I'm curious, what changes we might be making in state law when it comes to non-compete clauses? What do we know? So uh, this was in the news recently when um, our own reporter, our deputy editor, Max Nextrack, was he was reporting on a a couple who worked for a, a, a property management company and they were trying to organize a union and they were fired for doing so. At least that's our suspicion. Um, that's an allegation, so I don't want to um, get ahead of myself there. But uh, one of the problems that this couple has is that they've tried to get other jobs, but they have a non-compete clause in their employment contract, and which means they can't. You know, they're afraid of getting sued. Um, if they were to take a job with a different company. Um, and, I mean, you kind of see how ridiculous that is. Like, why shouldn't they be able to go and work for another company? It's really an impingement on your freedom. And, um, you know, the argument in favor of these is that, well, you know, if it's a CEO or an engineer, he's going to take trade secrets somewhere else. Uh, okay, although we have laws about that too. So um, this seems like a, a really onerous, um, uh, a bit a uh, uh, piece of power that employers can hold over employees. It prevents them from leaving. Um, 
and getting a, a better job elsewhere, getting better pay, it, it could prevent them from, from going off and starting a company, um, which is exactly the kind of thing that we want people to do, uh, allegedly. So uh, some Democrats in the legislature have, have said, let's uh, get rid of uh, non-compete clauses. Um, and I think this has a good shot at uh, moving through the legislature. Um, so we'll, we'll see where this goes. Max Nestorak, uh, who also covers labor force, is, is covering this issue, too. Yeah, I remember hearing about, for instance, Jimmy John's even a few years ago having non-compete clauses, which seemed absolutely ridiculous for a retail worker. But of course, there are other professions that do have non-competes. And I think you brought up a good point that we already do have laws largely in place that do protect companies from having their trade secrets exposed, because I do get that argument. But uh, yeah, we already do have a lot of laws in place that can protect employers. So uh, I think this would certainly be an interesting thing to pass and probably a good thing so people can move on to actually get other jobs and, as you said, start businesses, which is something that uh, is obviously tougher to do if you have those non-competes. Yeah, all this does is, is protect incumbent businesses um, so that from from any competitors uh, or their employees uh, from, from going off and starting their own business. Max told me that today in the hearing, Someone said, well, what if I have a, uh, you know, I'm a uh, dog trainer business and this guy learns how to, uh, he learns how to do dog training for me. Then he goes off and starts his own dog training business. Well, yeah, that we hope that that happens. That's a good thing. So it'll be interesting to see how, um, what kind of arguments they, they put in place to push back against this. Um, but I, I think this uh, should pass. Hopefully it will. Well, another issue that I know is hot at the state legislature has to do with uh, pr- has to do with gun safety and gun regulations. As the House Public Safety Committee, I believe last Friday, did approve four gun control bills that would mandate safe firearm storage, expand background checks, create a red flag law to seize guns from people deemed dangerous, and also require gun owners to promptly notify law enforcement if their firearms are stolen. So. Tell me a little bit about where this bill is at right now and who exactly is supporting this bill, because I was a little bit surprised to see that law enforcement has largely come in favor of all four of these provisions that are in this House DFL bill on gun safety. Yeah, uh, certainly law enforcement in the past had been uh, a supporter of of gun control, um, and I think that uh, has become less true over time um, because a lot of uh, law enforcement has become aligned with right-wing politics and, um, and, and so being against any kind of gun control uh, measures. So um, that's certainly welcome uh, to, see, to see them getting on board. Um, and, and again, this is something that you know, we would have seen uh, really no progress on uh, any gun bills in recent uh, legislative sessions with Republicans controlling the Senate, but also because the Democratic Party still had uh, a lot of um, pro-gun legislators. And in fact, Governor Tim Walz uh, famously or infamously got an A rating from the NRA as recently as a decade ago. So uh, the politics have changed on this in the Democratic Party a lot, and Democrats control the legislature. I don't think it's a done deal by any means. I think they're going to they're going to it's going to be a struggle. There are still uh, some rural uh, members, and um, and I think they're going to get a lot of pressure um, to vote no on these measures. But uh, certainly 
we're we're closer on meaningful gun control legislation than we've been um, in a long time. And finally, one more piece of news to talk about from the state legislature, and this has to kind of follow up on what we were talking about last week with these PFAS, or forever chemicals, that, well, are essentially their name. They're forever, and they don't go away. Well, another uh, bill at the state legislature could create a landfill in northeastern Minnesota in St. Louis County that proponents say could be able to treat those forever chemicals. What exactly do we know about uh, this possible facility that they might be building and why exactly in north in northeast minnesota in that st louis county area just curious what we know so far because uh that certainly would be some good news if we actually do have a way to treat these pfas chemicals so they're uh, obviously not polluting things yeah the bill would help pay uh for this for st louis county to design and construct a facility uh with what's called an engineered manufactured wetland to reduce PFAS chemicals, um, you know, we're, there's certainly a lot of uh, interest in a technological solution to this problem, and it's it's probably going it's going to be required because these chemicals we call them forever chemicals because they just accumulate in the environment; they don't break down. Um, and so, um, a lawmaker uh, from up there, Dave Lilligard, has said, uh, "Well, we want to be the place where this is going to happen." Uh, so let St. Louis County be the dumping ground for the state PFAS chemicals. I, I don't really know what's going to happen here, um, but it's certainly an interesting idea. And uh, and, he, and he's certainly right that that there's going to be there's going to have to be some kind of technological solution, and, and he's he's volunteering his his home region to do it. And, um, and, and I know uh, Northeastern uh, Minnesota is, is often looking for, for good economic development opportunities, and maybe this is one. Well, we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Again, that website, minnesotareformer.com, as they cover all sorts of news, including what's happening at the state legislature. Also, make sure you check out a piece written by Christopher Ingram titled, Minnesota Farmers Received $1.5 Billion in Federal Payments in 2021. Matt talked about that extensively yesterday on the show, but a really fascinating piece and the type of journalism you get from the Minnesota Reformer. So make sure you go and give them a follow, minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Good to talk with you. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.